Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. All right, Roan, back again. Recording podcasts is what we do. That's uh, how we make our living. Yeah. <laughs> Man, if that were only true, how amazing <laughs> would that be? If, if we just got to do this all day, every day. Yeah, that would be great. I'm having more and more conversations, though. I'd, l- I'd love to talk about, let's just brag about ourselves for a minute. Right? I think that's always good. Yeah, yeah, I'm having more and more conversations with people who are listening in and receiving benefit from the type of content. This is what I want to focus on as we start out the type of content that we're really willing to record, it seems that a lot of people avoid these topics, right? Which is something that's bothered you for a very long time. (laughs) Yeah, we uh, just the topics that we talk about are things that need to be talked about. Uh, And certainly in, you know, from a Christian perspective, uh, but even uh, from a whatever perspective, Mm -hmm. because these things affect uh, everyone and everybody. Yeah, isn't isn't that true? You don't have to pull out your Christian card before you engage with sex. Yeah. (laughs) It's a part of everyone's life, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's like you've got the two extremes of just, you know, kind of uh, the way of the world is just like anything goes and nothing really matters. Uh, And then on the Christian side of the fence, it's like, oh gosh, uh, don't talk about it. Uh, You can do it to have some kids or something, but uh, don't go much beyond that. Both approaches are bad, but what I find very interesting is that the podcast is the perfect medium to to kind of solve that problem. And I do this in my life too. Like I'm in the truck by myself. I pull up Spotify. I search a topic. I'm like, I want to learn about this and I can. And it doesn't matter because nobody else has to know that I'm, <laughs> I'm learning about this. And I think our podcast falls into that category. What's interesting though is when partners start trading information on this podcast, I've had a couple uh, sit with me in my practice. Like I realized what was happening when I started listening to these episodes as well, what was leading to those questions. So this is a great um, kind of collateral benefit that we're finding is that couples are listening to this podcast together, which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. And certainly, you know, it can generate some uh, very healthy discussions, uh, necessary conversations. Uh, just, you know, certainly the area of sex and marriage is uh, mostly problematic. Uh, it's one of those things that, that couples, evidently, they do it because there's some children running around. <laughs> uh, people are having babies. Yep. Uh, I think that's how that works. Yep. Uh, but the thing that we find is, man, they never talk about it. Uh, most couples operate uh, still in their adolescent, high school, teenage sex dance, mm. um, and they're kind of stuck there. And, you know, we just believe that, you know, the healthy sexuality is in a Christian marriage, uh, in a marriage is simply, you know, a lot of communication and the conversation is natural and organic. Uh, there's not, there's no shame around it. Uh, there's no tension. There's no anxiety. You can actually just have a conversation. Yeah. Jumping back, just we're going off script now. Oh, Why not? It's yeah, our podcast. It's what we do. Um, I find that, especially when we're talking about coupleship, um, there's often not very much curiosity. And there are different reasons for that, I think. But when you start describing, hey, we should be curious about this particular part, I'm jumping back now to our few episodes ago on the arousal template. Mm. 
let's be curious about what's working and what's not working. We really see at that point in a relationship, the lack of a mentor uh, emerging, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, we get very little information. Uh, The information that we do get uh, is usually uh, backwards. Uh, And most of the time we just get, we get nothing and we come up with messages around sex and sexuality. Uh, But you know, it's like for every behavior, there's a reason for every behavior. And with the arousal template, uh, with the, you know, sexual desire, uh, all of those things, when you start looking at it, those things get formed in our lives, uh, like our belief system. And when we're getting uh, misinformation, um, not necessarily from Russia, uh, but but we're getting nothing, right. um, man, we just kind of come up with it on our own. And so much of the you know literature out there um, is not really helpful. And so you have no way, nobody to talk to, nobody to guide you. Um, and I believe we all need that in uh, every area of our life. No doubt. And if you don't have it, I find, and uh, you could probably confirm this, that if we feel like something's wrong and we don't understand that there's a motivation behind every action, then we believe the reason is because we're just really terrible people. So we stop there and that shuts the process down, doesn't it? Oh yeah. And and then, you know, you then you get shame wrapped around sexuality because somehow, you know, in the world today, none of us are, are sexually adequate, right? Because mm. the world is crazy when it comes to sex. Yes. And so we just walk around feeling like we're missing out, we're less than and we're inadequate. And and then when you take our sexual histories and you put that on top of it, uh, most of our you know sexuality is just wrapped in shame or shame's wrapped around our sexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always say it's like kudzu on a barn. Now, for our our listeners that aren't from the South, we might have to explain, explain kudzu. kudzu, but yeah. we'll do that on another, we'll do a whole episode. That is a lengthy process. Yeah. Suffice it to say <laughs> that those two things are, are intricately linked and very hard to parse out, very hard to separate. And usually it takes an outside party to the relationship or to the individual to help figure that out, which leads us into the big topic we're going to talk Mm. about today. And honestly, I can't believe it's taken us this long (laughs) to have this conversation because it is a phrase that comes up very early on when people are seeking help. And I should probably say at this point, the right kind of help. Um, This phrase emerges in the room and some of our listeners will actually notice it. Tell me about your work. Have you done your work? And we often get the blank stare across the coffee table. What, what do you mean? So we're going to take an episode to explain that, maybe some pitfalls around it, how to do it uh, in a healthy and correct manner, uh, your approach to what doing your work looks like, just so that people who are pursuing, because we have listeners literally worldwide <laughs> who are pursuing help, which is crazy to say, but as they're pursuing help and that question is offered to them, they will understand what's being asked because no one uh, pursuing help is already a nerve wracking experience. They, they don't want to feel also like an imbecile because they don't understand the language. So when you look across the table, someone and say, all right, well, tell me about the work you've done previously. Uh, have you done your work? What is it that you're actually asking? 
Oh yeah, it's it's always interesting. Uh, you know, you get people that have seen other counselors, maybe, uh, or you know, gone to uh, the pastor or uh, someone like that, and they've they've talked to somebody about something. Um, and you you know, I always ask, you know, tell me about tell me about the work you did with counselor X or mm-hmm. whatever, and. I mean, the answers, I, I should just start recording them or writing them down. I, I can't record them. I would violate HIPAA That laws. would be a problem. Yeah, yeah. but but writing down, uh, I, I mean, certainly I just remember uh, a lot of them in the sense that it's like they, they kind of give me a blank stare, like a deer in the headlights. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, what do you mean the work that I've done? <laughs> I've been to counseling. Yes. Uh, okay. What did you do in that process? What did you uncover? What uh, What are your aware your new awareness? Uh, have you done work around your family system? Have you done work around trauma? I mean, there's a lot of work that's involved in the process, but a lot of times people go to counseling and it's kind of, mm, how do you feel today? Mm. And that's really not helpful. I personally have never experienced that. I've heard you talk about it and I've heard other clinicians talk about it. Never was my experience. So I feel very blessed in the truest sense of the word. It wasn't like, hey, let's just ruminate on my feelings today. That would be maddening, but it is the experience so many people are paying to have, isn't it? It is. Uh, and I mean, if you're doing things in your life that are incongruent with your integrity and your values, you're probably going to have anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I call a lot of what we do, our therapy modality uh, would just simply be integrity therapy. Because when we are violating uh, our value system and who we say we are and, or who we want to be, uh, it's going to create this internal conflict. And oftentimes, like there's just been no uh, searching of that or going into that, looking at the history, uh, what you grew up in, the the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's just kind of dealing with the, the crisis of the day or the, you know, feelings of the moment. Yeah. Just, it's hard for me to imagine how that would help anyone feel like they've made a sense of progress except for maybe they feel better on the walk back to their vehicle, that they (laughs) offloaded a little bit of emotion. But after that, I mean, by the time you get back to engage your own life, your own story, those same motivators are there that you haven't uncovered. So you've mentioned a few things already I think we need to decode, but part of doing your work is digging into the language that you guys use in your practices, owning your story. That's a lot of what this work centers around, correct? Oh, yeah. You know, uh, the the things that all of us uh, are dealing with, you know, it, it typically, um, well, yeah, it always starts in childhood, uh, what we grew up in. Um, and it's not about blaming parents by any stretch. It's just simply about naming uh, the the issue, the problems, the shortcomings, the things that that you've got to look at and understand in order to be able to change. And if you're not kind of doing a Fearless and searching moral inventory, as it, we would say in twelve-step vernacular, mm-hmm. um, you, you, you're probably just going to like row around on a rowboat with one oar, right? <laughs> that sounds miserable. <laughs> Driving around in a cul-de-sac. Yeah, was, who would want to yeah. do that? Yeah. So let's talk about real quickly. I did, this also was not part of the script, but let's talk about one of the main blockers for this work. 
uh, you mentioned childhood, you mentioned early life, all of those things. Uh, I find that most people are very protective of mm. mom and dad specifically to be able to say, oh, he, he was a good man. He's a great man, celebrated man. So I often say back to that, hey, I believe you. Good for you. What did he not give you that you needed? Right? Those sorts of questions, that's what the work sounds like, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, you know, I think a lot of it is, uh, especially in, in faith communities, uh, you know, it comes from the, uh, the fifth commandment. You know, we're, we're talking early right out of the gate. Yeah. Um, you know, honor your mother and father. And oftentimes, I mean, in English language, when we think of the word honor, it's like we can't say anything bad. Uh, we can only say good things. Um, and it just breeds this kind of blind loyalty or, I mean, just it, it's, it's really dysfunctional. Um, like if mom and dad were crackheads and locked you in the closet, burned you with cigarettes and threw some food in there every now and then until they let you out at 18... I'm not so sure that the God I know would say, honor that, right? Mm-hmm. And and you can see it in the extremes. And it's interesting, the Hebrew word for honor in that passage is kabed, K-A-B-E-D. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it. Um, I'll give you credit. The, the Hebrew scholars um, will be calling in or yes, emailing there you. there are a few of those. Email Ben about that. <laughs> uh, I'm speaking Southern Hebrew. Okay. And But the, the word is actually a word picture, and it's the picture of a scale. And what God is saying is the idea of just, like, weigh it out. You've got to see the good. You've got to see the bad, what you got, what you did not get from mom and dad. Uh, and it has a double meaning in that those relationships have impact. They carry weight on every relationship you will be in the rest of your life. And so God is even saying that in the fifth commandment. It's not blind honor, loyalty. I can't say anything bad. No, God wants us to see it because otherwise the sins, the dysfunctional behaviors of the fathers and the mothers will be passed on to the third, fourth, fifth, and forever generation until somebody decides this has got to change. Mm. And, and it's just amazing to me, it, it, if we don't become aware of it, I always say we will wind up living life like the directions on a shampoo bottle, right? Lather, rinse, repeat. If we do not become aware of it, we are destined to repeat it. And then the Old Testament is just God's picture showing us the the consequences of dysfunctional behavior from the patriarchs of our faith. Uh, They're just broken as a left-handed monkey wrench. And it... I'm going to have to... Google that and put it in the show notes for our listeners. Yeah, I, no one knows what that means. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're left-handed, a left-handed monkey wrench it's is a perfect. great thing, but yeah. I'm right-handed. So <laughs> if you ever try to use a, if you, it, anyway, yeah, try okay. it. Yeah, okay. You'll understand. All right, yeah. Uh, but it's, it. those stories are there and God it doesn't hold back. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't cover it up. He doesn't paint them as perfect. They're just the real stories of real human people that God used in the midst of their dysfunction. But I think God calls us to something better, even in that honor your mother and father passage. It's more the idea, like, you can do this different, and he gives us the picture of, like, 
so often how not to do it, and then the consequences that play out as a result. It's so interesting how subtle that plays out, though, in modernity in someone who is pursuing help, which we should acknowledge here on this podcast is, is a big step of courage. Like, congratulations for people who take that step. However, once you get into the room and you're talking with someone, it is very typical to operate by default and say, I'm here to talk about what's happening right now. That's the thing that's acute in my life. That's the thing that I want to get solved. And some clients experience frustration that I think the best clinicians out there will take a moment to say, okay, well, you know, bring me up to speed. What's actually going on? What's brought you in? I'm sure you're not here to tell me how great things are going. So what is the problem, quote unquote? And then a good clinician is going to start steering the conversation to the what's led to this. That can be very frustrating for people if they don't understand this is what the work looks like. This is what long-term healing has to look like, or we are just applying a Band-Aid to something that's probably a very deep overused language here, but a very deep wound that if we don't heal it from the inside out, Mm. will become very problematic. Uh, But the person who's sitting in the session is thinking, look, man, I'm just super depressed because my job sucks. Like, okay, I mean, I get it. Um, But why why are you in the job in the first place? Why haven't you left already? Mm -hmm. Uh, What is it that's pressing you to want to stay in the situation that is miserable for you? Do you have a history of something that's guiding you to make these decisions that are ultimately bad for you? That's real work there rather than just saying, okay, well, let's uh, give you seven steps to have a happier day. But that stuff's actually happening for people, you know, because it's in subtle ways, it's what the client is asking for, even though it's not what they need. So how do you navigate that space where you understand before the client does, I, I know what they need, they just don't know they need it yet? Yeah, I think that's, you know, that it's kind of a, uh, it, it's a tricky part because it, those things that are up underneath it, uh, the backstory, uh, the, the painful childhood experiences, all the things that we've gone through, uh, have have brought us to the place that we are today, and and part of the work is you, it, you've got to go back and begin to unpack it. You've got to begin to look at it in order to understand how you got there. Because chances are, if you're just in a miserable job situation and you just decide to you know exit and go find another job, well chances are you're going to wind up in another miserable job situation. Oh, now you're starting <laughs> to tell the truth. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and so, you know, you have to begin to dig in, like, why do I make these choices? Uh, why do I stay in a job too long? Uh, is it is it because I'm overly loyal? Uh, is it because I'm codependent? Is it because, I mean, and then when you start looking at what you grew up in, you begin to see it. But oftentimes, you know, the clients coming in the door, sitting there, they're wanting that, you know, magic pill, quick fix, because we live in a microwave culture. And I always say so much of the work that we do, um, I mean, you, we could, I could, you could just call it spiritual formation, uh, because we're working with a lot of times it's just deep-rooted false beliefs, a false belief system. And in order to change that, that's going to take uh, a little effort, right? Yeah. Because you didn't get to where you, you got to in, in, you know, overnight. And you know, it took a number of years in unpacking that and beginning to understand it. 
it is going to take time. And so I, I tell clients, you know, this, this is a process. And part of what you got to do is trust the process. And, you know, frustration is common because, like, you know, wherever you're talking about, you know, family, my story, and growing up in my home, and over here, my house is on fire. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, need, I need something. I need to connect these two things. Well, we're going to get there, but, you know, it, it's, a, it's a longer road than what you think when you walk in the door. That is perfectly described because I understand the desire because I've been in mm. that chair in my oh, life. Yeah. Like, Me too. Something needs to change quickly. I need a fix. But it's interesting. That's addictive language, isn't it? Ooh, I need a fix. It? I need a quick fix. I need uh, yeah. this to go away quickly. And part of it is becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's part of the work, isn't it? And that the work has happened over a period of time. Interesting, especially in Christian cultures, we have two solutions for almost every problem. It's either a retreat or a book, (laughs) right? So I'm going to give you a book to read or you're going to go on this 48-hour experience and things will be solved. So when they run into a clinician that's coming from a biblical worldview that doesn't handle, hand them that and handle them that way, uh, that can be very disruptive, can it? Well, you miss the two big ones. You know, you just need to pray harder, which actually means grunt ah, uh, when okay. you pray. Uh, at least that's what I discovered. Um, and then, you know, just you need to read your Bible more. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, those are two mm, good ones. That, yeah, that's going to... We should do an entire episode on <sighs> dumb stuff Christians say to people. Man, we, that's... I don't know. Maybe a, a series. That's a year of, of <laughs> daily episodes. Read your Bible more. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I know your house is on fire. <laughs> Sit in the living room and read your Bible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, did, we did talk about uh, the spiritual escape, spiritual bypass. Uh, yeah. bypass yeah. Helper trauma. But oh, yeah. We yeah. should give ourselves credit. We're very careful. You know, we don't want to throw pastors under the bus. That would not be good. Oh, okay. Yeah, we yeah. don't. That's, right. I'm encouraging right. you on yeah. mic. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> when we don't, I think the, ba- the, the base of the matter, the crux of the matter, though, is that when we're not receiving help in the way that we think we should be, it's very hard to trust uh, that the person across from us knows what they're doing when it doesn't feel right. But this idea of doing the work, even though it does feel crummy, it's called work. You know, it isn't like do your play. <laughs> it is do your Work and work takes uh, commitment. It takes discipline. It takes being submissive to a guide. It takes that work enlightening you and leading to more work. You know, the interesting thing we haven't talked about yet is the men that I see, women that I see that have done their work, it always leads to more work. The work's never done, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a growing awareness. And if I'm in growth mode, I'm going to be becoming aware of, you know, the different things in my life and uh, the motives behind the behaviors. And I mean, that, that, that's the beauty of the journey uh, because we're actually growing into whole human beings. Uh, that's the goal. And the goal is wholeness and maturity. And that's what we're after. Um, I think it was um, Phil Stutz, uh, you know, uh, Jonah Hill's therapist, the mm-hmm. documentary, which is excellent, by the way. Uh, he talks about the three realities of life or three things in life that are that are guaranteed, uh, pain, uncertainty, and work. I mean, that that's what we got. What a depressing list. Yeah, it doesn't it? It sucks. <laughs> but that is life, right? And and if 
part of what we have to do is is the idea of acceptance, right? The serenity prayer. Uh, grant me the serenity, accept the things I cannot change. Yeah, you, I mean, it's acceptance. Yeah. And when we just accept that pain, uncertainty, and work are part of life, um, we're probably not going to try to avoid it like we do and stay in a terrible place. And the idea of work, I believe, you know, that, you, you tie that into the fall, um, you know, we get literal in, in the curse uh, from Genesis, uh, you know, you will labor and you will toil. I mean, we're not, we're not agrarian farmers much anymore. There's some. Yeah, we're some. Glad, glad you're listening. Yeah, thank um, God you're there. Yeah, I used to be. I, I grew up doing that. Uh, but, but that's not what's going on today. And it's the idea of work. It's like they were in this place where it was effortless, right? In the Garden of Eden, it was perfect. It was ideal. And then uh, the fall happens, and now they've got to exert effort. And it's like anything in your life that you want to be good, you're going to have to work at it. It takes effort. We all know that instinctively. Uh, you you, you want to get in shape. Uh, you want to have a better golf game. You want to lose weight. I mean, we just, we know if you want to succeed in your career, it, it's going to take work. And this work is no different. It takes mm-hmm. time, effort, energy, and mucus and money. <laughs> All of those things, yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's part of it. So I think as we're talking about work, this is just really incredible the way this conversation has turned. Uh, And bringing in our biblical worldview, you know, we don't want to talk about this for the rest of the episode, but it is a misunderstanding that work was a result of sin entering the world. Mm. That, you know, we didn't work before. We were just laying around enjoying creation. Uh, not actually how the Bible reads, which is pretty interesting. And I love to talk to men, especially about this, who are passive. Uh, passivity runs deep within the heart of a man. Oh, uh, unfortunately, painful. I hate that about us, but mm. it's true. Um, so we have this conversation about work, and I'm like, hey, you know that uh, God created man outside of the garden, and then you put him in the garden. And the reason you put him in the garden, the words are in the Bible there, to work it and to keep it. So we were given responsibility. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of the reason why we get the blank stares across the table from individuals is we have been trained, especially in the West, to see work as a curse and to try to get out of work as quickly as possible or to make our work make the most profit in the shortest amount of time. And that just runs so contra to the emotional work that we're talking about today. Oh, yeah. And, and I think it's just the idea, you know, I think before the fall, uh, the work was effortless because it was, there was, I mean, it was enjoyable. It was, it was life-giving. It was not, you know, going and punching the clock, um, mm-hmm. you know, having the sales manager breathing down your throat, trying to make your quota. Uh, yeah, I mean, all of those things, you know, certainly came into play, but I liken it to, I mean, I, where I am today and what I do in my work, I don't feel like I work. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm fortunate. I know a lot of people, you know, they're, they, they don't have that experience. Um, and I didn't for a long time. You yeah. know, I was toiling out there Absolutely. in the sun, yeah. uh, in the corporate salt mines. And, and, but now it's like, man, I think I kind of get the idea of like, man, that, that, that work is actually a good thing. 
And I often say, you know, the Bible actually started, it, it starts in Genesis 1. We don't spend a lot of time there, mm, do we? Yeah, it's largely misunderstood. <laughs> yep. In knowing your story, though, it, it correct me if this is a wrong way to say this, but it, it was your work, your commitment to the work when all hell was breaking loose in your life. It had been there for a long time, but just not disclosed. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> um, all hell was breaking loose, and you committed to doing your work, which led to eventually your work, which feels full of purpose mm. and, and full of joy uh, and full of impact. And a lot of people, they don't feel like they're in that spot, which we can certainly appreciate. But you didn't get there with an easy glide path. There was, it was a hard road. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I'm a slow learner. It took me uh, only about 25 years uh, to find uh, my calling, my career. Uh, but I was on that path. And, you know, the path really began when I got into recovery from my sexual addiction. And, and I began to do my work. And, you know, it, it just from a practical standpoint, it, you know, my work was I started meeting with a with a counselor, Christian counselor, uh, who I, you know, grew to love dearly, uh, became a father figure, mentor, guide, uh, counselor. I always say, I don't just pick a term; it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Uh, but man, he was had such an impact in my life, and so I was meeting with him weekly. Um, Eve and I uh, were. It'd be hard pressed to call it couples counseling because she was not much into that uh, for the first two years. Okay. After uh, I admitted everything, uh, it was just a lot of betrayal trauma and a lot of anger. And so I, I that did not prevent me from doing what I needed to do. And so I was meeting with my counselor once a week. Uh, he had a therapy group that I was a part of. Um, I found a good uh, support and recovery ministry. Uh, it was one of the first, actually, it was probably the first Christ-centered recovery and support group in the country way before Celebrate Recovery. This was in 1990. Um, and so, I was, you know, so now I've, you know, I've got my support group. I'm going to counseling once a week. I'm going to therapy group. Um, and then on top of that, I'm a reader. I'm reading everything I can find. There wasn't a whole lot back then. Uh, there was very little, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm digging in and because I wanted freedom. I wanted recovery. Um, and it, it, I think all of us, when we're serious about the process and we engage in it and we want change, we also have to kind of remember the, you know, from 12-step world, uh, the idea of like easy does it mm. because it's, you didn't get here overnight. Uh, it's going to take time. But man, you know, we're so desperate um, to, to change it. We're so desperate for healing. Um, and usually the house is on fire uh, or your ass is on fire. That's for sure. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Uh -huh. um, and and you just, man, you, you're you're trying to do everything and anything you can, but at the same time, boy, that'll that that can burn you out. And so it's just the idea of balance. But I think early on digging in and I mean going to meetings. I mean today, 
Good grief. Uh, you can find meetings online uh, every hour of the day mm-hmm. uh, for everything from sexual addiction to alcoholism. I mean, just, man, it, it, it's out there. We're fortunate. Um, and so it, it's like doing your work is engaging in the process and not being passive. Uh, one of the things that I see often that just frustrates me to no end is, you know, the, the the man the husband uh, the, they come in as a couple and uh, you know always ask like how did you guys find us and I there's a unicorn out there I know I'm going to get the answer one day where the guy's going to say man I got online I was looking you know all hell's broken loose yeah. uh, I admitted my porn problem and now I'm just I'm trying to find help and I found you guys and mm, that's not the case no. The wife is the one that is dug in, and she's finding the counselor, and she's starting to read the books. And but that's that passivity that you mentioned earlier. We're the ones that you know created the 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 hell, mm. and now she's the one that's like beginning to yep yeah, try to try to put the fire. Out. Often that is the case, unfortunately. And we don't want to stereotype and say- No, no, it, it, there's exceptions, you know. Yeah. yeah, but as a general rule, and, and we would say, I think it's important to put out there too, we're tougher on men in this process. Oh, 100%. Like, I'm going to be more tough on you, dude. Yeah. When we start saying that, there's trouble. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dude. Dude, <laughs> that, that, that word is kind of like another word that I think of that can be used in a lot of different ways. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think we're painting the picture here that the work also, I don't want to be subtle about this. Doing the work doesn't mean dragging tail into a counselor's parking lot, sitting on a couch with your arms crossed, and just showing up consistently for one hour a week over the course of 10 weeks. That doesn't mean you've done your work. That doesn't mean you can look at your spouse and say, well, I'm doing what they're asking me to yeah, do. Yeah. I'm showing up here. I right. went to counseling two times. <laughs> Come on. Right. Like, well, when, when did these problems really emerge in your marriage? Mm-hmm. Oh, two weeks in. Well, how long have you been married? 14 years. <laughs> yeah. like, okay. Well, pardon us for not being able to solve that in 90 minutes. Yeah. Right. Uh, so doing work means committing to. This is a word that we use a lot in our practices. Committing to the process. Trust the Mm. process. You are not the first person to go through sexual brokenness or dysfunction inside of your marriage that has completely destroyed trust in the most important relationship in your life. Absolutely. And I think, you know, even when we talk about doing your work and you're going to counseling, you know, it in some ways everybody's individual work is different, right? Because you begin to uncover that you know, uh, mom was codependent and dad was um, kind of a bull, and 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 the effects and how that played out. Or uh, you grew up in this kind of hyper religious, uh, rigid uh, system, and you just thought it was perfect childhood. Went to church every time the doors were open. But then as you begin to uncover it, it's like, boy, there was just a lot of stuff that was masked over uh, the Bible Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you kind of begin to see that there was dysfunction in, in whatever situation. And so then you begin to do work on your codependency or you, you know, I mean, if, if you're dealing with addiction, uh, obviously the, the number one piece of work is 
you got to get sober. Stop that, the behavior. That yeah. that's got to happen yes. because short of sobriety, uh, there is no recovery. And and so just you know that's got to be the first focus. And doing the work around just okay, I've got to get to sobriety. Well, I need to put filters on all my devices. I need to get accountability guys. Um, I need to get in a group. I, I mean, there's there's practical things in each one of these different areas of what we would call you got to do your work Mm -hmm. and and you you need to be asking you know the counselor you know what what does that what does that mean what does it look like and i think if uh if they're they're any good uh they're going to have a plan they're going to have a process they're going to have a roadmap it's like our book you know the the sex god and the chaos of betrayal the couple's roadmap of hope and healing i mean it's You've got to have a plan, and you've got to trust that the process, if you work the plan, you've got a chance. Um, If you don't, then, yeah, probably not much is going to happen. It's no surprise to us. Nope. You you may disappear for a while, but you'll be back. Yeah. And the truth is, for us, on our side of the appointment, that's heartbreaking. Oh, it, uh, totally. Because had you done the work when it was presented to you the first time, you would have mitigated a lot of this future damage. Oh yeah. And and I think the it's it's like doing the work is is not just coming and sitting in the counselor's office for an hour a week, right? I tell people that's probably the least effective part of the process. Um Ooh. well no, no, it's the most important. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, but but when you think about it, you know, that that's one hour one out, hour, of, out yeah. of the week. And hopefully, uh, you know, we're going to be giving you something to work on, something to focus on. And, uh, you know, you need to go do the homework assignments. Um, we even are big on like, man, we are very directive, especially uh, when it's couples in crisis. Mm-hmm. I mean, when the plane is on like the engine, you've lost both engines and you're yeah. going down. Uh, you don't want somebody up there like, you know, uh, let us help you with uh, some conflict resolution skills. I mean, nah, Ginger that, ale? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so you, you've, we are very directive because everybody's in crisis. I mean, both people in the relationship and, and, and both are highly, highly emotionally dysregulated. Uh, he's got discovery trauma because um, he's the stuff that you were going to take to your grave somehow has come out. I call it discovery trauma. And then she's now got betrayal trauma. And man, we are spinning Spin. plates. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk this let's take a little turn here in the episode and talk about something else that we've seen when the word work gets weaponized oh. by the family or the other person that is in, you know, the therapeutic situation. Uh, it often sounds like they, he or she, hey, they're just not doing their work. I'm doing my work. They're not doing their work. <laughs> How do you handle that? Oh gosh, it is one of those I I mean I we hear that very often. Okay. Uh, that's why I'm laughing actually out loud. <laughs> uh, I had somebody tell me that today about, about their spouse. and Imagine that. I know. And it's like, you know, in some cases they may not be, right? And, and certainly we want to kind of, you know, push into that, lean into that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But a lot of times they're doing about everything they can do, right? Uh, and and oftentimes, and again, I just I work with the men. He was working with the wives. And I'm like, dude, all you all you can do is all you can do. I mean, you're going to like two groups a week. You're going counseling you know, uh, once a week. You're in a therapy group. You're, I mean, everything that is being asked of you to do uh, by the one that is kind of directing the process mm-hmm. as a counselor. Um, it sounds like a control freak, but it's like the it's things, the, process, that, yeah. the things that we've learned and like, okay, they're, they're doing everything that they can. And sometimes it really is more about boundaries um, and, you know, your own codependency and, and kind of getting frustrated with your, I'll just use the wife as an example, with her because she's in safety-seeking behavior mode. And all she wants, she's she's wanting, she doesn't feel safe, she doesn't feel secure, obviously. Uh, that's the betrayal trauma. And so, she, yes, she wants you to be in a group, you know, 24-7 or seeing your counselor, you know, eight times a week. or And, and I mean, it, that's not realistic. But you've got to see it as where, where she's at and where she's coming from. And, and then you've got to engage in your, in your consistent action over time that's actually going to build the safety and security. Uh, I always say our job um, on, on the man side of the fence is to create safety uh, for our wives. And if we're doing that, she will begin to trust, but safety and security are the foundational building blocks of trust. And when they see you doing activities and things, it, uh, it's, it's going to create safety. Yeah, I find that that phrase is usually camouflaged for their behavior isn't changing as fast as I would like. That's what I really mean. Oh, yeah. But I've watched enough TikTok to be able to say in this uh, room, um, they're not doing their work. Yeah, TikTok therapists. They haven't read you know four pages of this book that I gave them, or they haven't listened to the seven podcasts I sent their directions because it is interesting when you have the betrayed partner, they're in this hypervigilant state. They're learning and trying to process as much as they possibly can while at the same time extremely worried that if they're not in the room with a clinician or at a men's group, they're probably looking at porn yeah. or with the affair partner. They, oh, just, yeah. they just can't trust unless I can verify with Life360 and six other witnesses that my partner was at this location, I cannot settle myself down. So there's just, there's a lot of danger in weaponizing that word work. And and what we find is that it really demoralizes the person who probably is doing a lion's share of what they've been asked to do. It just hasn't taken its effect yet because as you mentioned already in this episode, work takes time. Yep. And and if our core message is somehow the core wounding, uh, the toxic shame message, I mean, so many men, uh, it's like this idea that, you know, I'm not enough, I'm inadequate. And, and then I'm getting this overdose of like, you're just not doing enough. Well, now I'm tapping into the old core wound. And guess what? How do we deal with the core wound? What was the go-to? It, and, and it's the, one of the things that we have to begin to try to do is help the partner understand that when you're doing that, it's not helpful. Mm. To right? you. It's not helpful to you. 
Yeah, for her sake. Yeah, the realization, like the way I'm participating in this process is actually driving my partner a thousand miles an hour back to that costly coping mechanism. So we can acknowledge it is a heavy lift for the straight partner. And just, you know, certainly the caveat in there, it's like in no way, shape, or form are we blaming the other person. Um, I mean, I I always say, you know, I was pre-programmed out of the gate. I mean, you know, I... I was, it did, it wouldn't matter who I was married to. And that's true for every guy that I've worked with. It's never about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was pre programmed. I was going to do what I did regardless. And so it's never about the other person. It's not about the wife. Uh, it's not about the partner at all. However, we do have to look at the contribution in the dynamics of the relationship. Mm-hmm. I always say that whatever was there before, right? The, the the dysfunction, the, the the conflict, whatever was there, it, after discovery, it is only magnified and amplified that which was already there. So important to understand. Yeah. It, is, it isn't that you're a cause, but no. both people are setting conditions to produce a lot of the stuff that's happened. And I think we can get to this in future episodes, but that even plays into the initial attraction and choosing a partner. Why did I choose this person? Oh, yeah. That's a troubling thing for people to have to work through after they've been married for a decade. Um, to ask that question, like, what was this about? Um, I know we've talked about that on other podcasts, even other episodes. But uh, it's important for us to acknowledge at this point in the conversation, I think, that there's a way to actually support the other person's work that feels, and that's a really important mm. word here today, feels counterintuitive. Oh, yeah. Feels yeah. like they're not doing the right thing. So maybe we should shed a little light on that if we have some of our listeners like, well, look, I, I really do want to help. I really do want to be a contributor to the health of this marriage that's just driving me crazy in the state that it's in. If they were sitting here behind Mike and asked, what, what can we do? What can I do? What would you tell them? Well, I, you know, one of the things we often tell them is like when you are triggered, uh, when when you are activated, um, the, the the best thing you can do is to ask for reassurance, um, and that's so important. And there's ways to do that, right? Uh, we we talk about just the the we call it FTD, uh, kind of the you know bouquet of flowers, yes, a way yeah. to remember it. Uh, but it's just simply you know. Uh, what I feel um, when when I see this, when I hear you say this, I feel whatever it is, and then what I think, or the best phrase is the story in my head is Ooh. this, and my desire is I just really need some reassurance. I don't know of a man that I've ever sat with if they were approached that way that they would not lean into that and offer reassurance. Now I'm talking about a man in recovery, a man that's doing his work. Right, right. Not a guy seven beers in. No, 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 not that guy. (laughs) Not that guy. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you're going to lean into that, and, and, and it's kind of coaching the partner. What you really need is reassurance, and, and when you're going into accusatory mode or shaming mode or you're not doing your work mode, you're, you, it's, it's counterproductive because what you're really after is safety. And in order to gain safety, you need lots of reassurance. Mm-hmm. That way we can bring the question in, what do you want? Which oh. is so important uh, to be able to 
ask back to the partner, when we see that activity going on, that conversation kicking up, for it to be okay to ask inside the relationship, I'm hearing you. What, what is it that you want? Yeah. And to be able to speak that, I, I want some reassurance that you're committed to getting better. Oh, yeah. Okay, I can give you that. I'm not saying it's going to change by the time this day is over. Yeah. But I'm committed to the work. You know? Oh, be, yeah. And even being comfortable having that conversation feels a little awkward. Well, it's, you know, the idea is just healthy people ask for what they want and what they need. Um, and oftentimes, um, and, you know, this was the case with Eva. She's talked about it, um, I think, on the podcast even. But, like, she, she had a hard time going to vulnerability, right? And part of that is what she grew up in, uh, alcoholic home um, and just that dysfunction. And, you know, you, you can't have wants and needs. And so, you know, the way that, that she would uh, do that, it would be... She She's, and, you know, Ben knows her. Some of you out there have met her. She's a strong woman. And so, like, vulnerability for her, even as a woman, you know, I think it's hard for us men, but but vulnerability was not a, that that wasn't a great value, right? Wasn't encouraged. Yeah. And I... I think, you know, the best definition of, of weakness, because this was kind of the way in, in what I grew up in, it's like, you know, it was viewed as weak to be vulnerable. And, and I believe kind of my definition of weakness is a radical opposition to neediness. I, I will not be needy by God, right? <sighs> because my core message growing up was I'm on my own. I'm alone. You got to do it's it yourself. Me. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, it, to ask for help, to ask for what you needed, well, first of all, you couldn't even have any needs, but certainly you can ask for help to, or to try to get those needs met. And because that was weakness. And so I was radically opposed to weakness. The way that you're articulating that right now is an indicator that you've done your work. Ah. And that's what you're challenging other people to do. That's what we're challenging our listeners to do. We acknowledge it's messy. It's uncomfortable. It's frightening. It feels like you're going to be demonized if you admit one thing or another, or you're judging other people for the effects they've had on your life. We understand all of that. But we also know, we talk about, we found bread. We talk about that a lot. We also know that that was our journey. And without that part of the process, we would not be the people that we are today. And we certainly wouldn't be sitting behind microphones trying to help other people find that way. Amen. Um, I think, you know, it is, it is life-giving. Um, even the word blessed, it simply means to add life to. It's like God, our creator, added life to us, obviously. And then he asked us to add life to others and have life added to us by others. And that's the idea of connection. And so this, uh, I know for you, for me, uh, man, this work that we do, it is life-giving. Um, and I mean, the people that we sit with, uh, all the men stuff that we do, just, boy, we're, we're gaining life by just hearing the stories, by hearing the, the, the truth, by hearing honest men talk about real things. That's life-giving. To learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, visit sexgodchaos.com.